Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate all of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I appreciate you joining me today. Today, we're going to be talking about the story of the rich young ruler. A lot of people think that this is a parable, and I am happy to tell you that it is not a parable, that this is an actual interaction that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And we're going to go into the details here in just a few minutes. I like to start off by telling you that we have a lot of awesome content coming your way. And I appreciate all those who have joined me and stuck with me so far. God willing, soon we are going to have an episode on biblical illiteracy with my dad. He is going to be joining the show here in the next week or so. That's going to be some amazing, amazing content. I can't wait for you to listen to that. So without further ado, let's go ahead and turn to Luke, the 18th chapter. And we're going to be starting in the 18th verse, going all the way to the 30th verse. So kind of typically what we would do in a situation like this, we would start in the 18th verse, go all the way down to 30, come back, break it down, and we would conclude. So with that being said, let's go ahead and start reading. Matthew 18, starting the 18th verse. A ruler questioned him, Jesus, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard, Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Peter said, Behold, we have left our own homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age of come, eternal life. So let's go ahead and jump back to verse 18, and let's go ahead and start breaking this down. So starting the 18th verse, it says, a ruler questioned him. So this ruler could possibly be someone who is in charge of a synagogue one of the elders or governing leader. And the word question in the Greek is interrogated. Now, my first question is, what led this ruler to ask about 
this topic of eternal life. I mean, after all, he's the head of a synagogue, and he is very, very wealthy. So I'm kind of curious as to why he is coming to Jesus, who is not a ruler, not a quote-unquote authorized teacher. And he came to him with a question of eternal life. Isn't that interesting? So a ruler came and questioned him. And he started off by saying, good teacher. The teacher here is talking about someone who is a master in Scripture. So this is not in the Bible, but my mind is thinking of, he had to have heard something of what Jesus said at, at some point. Maybe, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it could possibly be that maybe he heard the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe he heard another sermon. I don't know. Who knows what he heard? But he had to have heard Jesus speaking, preaching, and teaching at some point. And something was stirring inside of him. He just didn't know what it was. But one of the things, before we go any farther, is the question I asked just a little bit ago, what led the ruler to ask Jesus about eternal life? He had to have been feeling deep down inside that he was missing something. He didn't have that blessed assurance that we sing about. So he comes up to him and says, good teacher. What shall I do? Emphasis on I do. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? The two words back to back, right next to each other, that jump off the page is what shall I do? This is works-based. This is the problem. Here's a problem already. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a problem. Because if you've been on this journey with me from the beginning or any length of time, you know that our salvation is not based upon works. We are saved by grace through faith. But this is the problem with people today and people back in his time. They think because of the things that they do, the goodness that dwells within them, that they're going to have eternal life. In verse 19, listen, listen to what Jesus responded. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Before we even come close to starting to dissect this, I'm going to say this right now. Jesus is not saying that he is not good. Jesus is not saying that he himself is not good and that he himself is not God. Do not get that mixed up because some people, false religions, claim that that's what Jesus is saying here. And they will use this scripture to say to, say to you, see, Jesus is just a man. He was a really religious man and taught wonderful things, but he's just a man. That's not what Jesus is saying. Christ is challenging him right now. 
not to loosely use good unless he is confessing Christ as Lord. Did you catch that? It says no one is good except God alone. That's what Jesus said. He, and he is correct, but he is also good. But here's the other thing. This ruler is not acknowledging that Jesus is the Christ, that he is God. That's not what's happening here. So you can't you can't just loosely throw out the word good. That's why when you ask people, are you a good person? Mm, I would say probably nine out of ten times, the answer would be, oh yeah, yeah, I'm a good person. Oh yeah, really? Okay. And what do you base that upon? Oh, well, I I mean, I pay my taxes and uh, I've never cheated on my wife or husband. Okay, keep going. Oh, uh, well, I, I've never stolen anything before. Really? That's interesting. And that's to, to some people that would probably be true. I unfortunately have stolen in my life when I was a lot, lot younger. We're not going to get in that story right now, but basically I stole rocks from school and lied about it. So I'm a lying thief <laughs> already. But I said, oh, keep going. Uh, okay. Uh, have you ever told a lie? Um, yeah, yes, I have. Okay. We're not, see, we're not going to go there because we'll be here asking questions about why we're a good person. But that starts to diminish when you start going through the Ten Commandments. And we're going to find that in just a minute. So God, Jesus is saying here that no one is good except God alone. Okay. But listen to also his response in verse 20. You know the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. We know what adultery is. Do not murder. Yeah, I, hey, I haven't murdered anybody. I'm, I'm a good person. Do not steal. Again, we already went over that. Do not bear false witness. That's lying. And honor your father and your mother. Now, I'm going to say this for a minute, that when you come to the age of accountability, I highly doubt that you have honored your father and mother your whole entire life perfectly. Have you, have, so far, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. You've kept those all perfectly from your youth. And listen to his response. And he said in verse 21, all these things I have kept from my youth. Really? Wow. That is self-deception at its highest level. It's impossible. It's impossible. You know, when Jesus said that if you hate somebody, that you commit murder, I mean... Wow, if you hate somebody, you're a murderer? If you look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery already? I mean, see, they were fixated on the word of the law, not the heart of the law. But they think that the word of the law was actually it. But in reality, ladies and gentlemen, here's the deal. 
It's not just the fact that you have not physically committed those acts. But inwardly, have you ever looked at a woman with lust? That's not your wife. If you have, you've committed adultery already. If you even thought in your head, gosh, I really hate that person. Oh, I hate them so much. You've already committed murder. You ever thought about stealing something from somebody? I mean, do you see where that's really condemning? How can a person keep themselves pure? You can't. It is literally impossible. Literally impossible. And yet this guy is saying that I've kept these things from my youth. Did you know that in the Ten Commandments, that there are two sets of commandments, one half and then the other. The, the first half is relationship with God. The second half is our relationship with other people. Did you know that? And if you ever want to look at the Ten Commandments, or maybe you don't know what they are and you want to know, they're found in Exodus 20. And specifically, verses 1 through 17. Now, again, I can see where he's saying, I kept these from my youth. You know, we haven't physically murdered somebody. We haven't committed adultery. Maybe he hasn't stolen. Maybe. False witness? Uh, I, I don't know about that. That's, yeah, okay, pal. But listen to verse 22. When Jesus heard his response, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. See, I bet the rich young ruler was pretty confident. He has those, every time Jesus said a commandment, he's like checking him off his head. Yep, got it. Yep, did it. Yep, yep, yep. And then Jesus heard him and said to him, one thing you still lack. Uh-oh. He says, Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Oh, wait a minute now. Remember what we just talked about with the Ten Commandments having two sides? First half is your relationship to God and the other half is with other people? Well, Jesus just went there. Well, what are you talking about, Nate? What what did he do? I don't understand. Well, let's let's look at Exodus 20, starting the first verse. We're going to find out what Jesus is talking about. Then God spoke all these words, saying, God spoke these words, people. Remember our last episode, all scripture is God breathed. Many episodes we talked about that. The Lord God, the living God, is speaking the word, these words right now. Listen, verse 2. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Here's verse 3. Here's, here, here we go. You shall have no other gods before me. 
Ouch. Ready for verse four? You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Double ouch. Now let's look at verse seven. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not, not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Okay, tapping out. Had enough. Had enough. What is Jesus saying here? He wants to empty his bank account? Like what you see a lot of people do on TV? They have 1-800 numbers on the bottom of their televangelist screens and send $1,000 here so you can, you can be an apostle or you can have healing powers and all that kind of crazy type of heresy that's on there. No. He's not saying you have to sell everything you possess in order to follow him. That's not what he's saying. People, let me tell you something. Man has a huge problem twisting scripture. That is a legitimate fact. Now, here's the problem. This is a big problem. People have turned this scripture into something that it's not. People believe and say that unless you sell everything you have and have absolutely nothing, you cannot go to heaven. Boy, do you see how that gets a little dark and murky? That is not what Jesus is saying. One thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. He's telling him to repent of his idolatry. To give up everything that he puts ahead of God. Because Christ is all that we truly need. So, he had already broken the first two commandments. It says that you shall have no other gods before me. Well, what other gods does he have? His money and himself. Those are his gods. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol. It's clear as crystal. He broke the three, the first three commandments towards God. And why did the rich young ruler become sad? Well, let's go to it. Verse 23. But when he had heard these things, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. In Matthew and in Mark, it talks about he, he became sad and walked away because he had many properties. 
This guy was loaded. He was rich. In our text here in Luke, extremely rich. You know who he kind of reminds me of? A guy called Joel Olstein. It's not Joel Olstein pick on hour, but have you seen that guy's house? Loaded. I mean, he, he, his house is so big that he could probably fit 10 of mine in him. Yet he has the perfect hair, the smile, the wealth, the jets, the Corvettes. You, you can go on long, down the list. But Jesus is saying to this young man, this person that claims to follow God, that you must give up your idol and follow me. And you know, verse 23 is extremely sad because many of us fall into this category. Because when you hear the, the gospel of Christ, most of the time, the idols that we have are ourselves. And when he heard these things in verse 23 in Luke 18, he became very sad, grieved, probably weeping. I don't know if he was weeping, but he was really sad because you see how his attitude changed? Jesus went straight to the heart. He went straight to the heart. Christ is scripture. Everything that comes out of Christ's mouth is scripture. I want to read something to you right now. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. Listen to this. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's go back up to 12, verse 12 at the end. It says, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's why people do not like scripture. Because first off, these are the words of the living God. And these are not dead words. These are not old words written on paper that give us a good way to be. But they are alive and active people. And it's sharp. And what's a, a sword's purpose? Is to cut, to penetrate. In Ephesians chapter 6, it talks about the word being the sword of the spirit. And I've said it before on the show, and I'll say it again. Every time I read scripture, two things happen. I'm convicted, and, and I am truly amazed. And why am I telling you this right now? Because Jesus was testing this young man, and the young man was cocky. He was arrogant. And I, oh, yeah, I've kept, I've kept that since I was young, sure. Okay. 
what about this? See, it was a test. It was a test. No one can keep the commandments. Even the ones he claimed that he kept, he probably broken that very day. But Jesus went straight to the heart of the issue. Get rid of your idol and follow me. Give up your God, little G, and follow the true God, Christ Jesus. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. He heard these things. He became very sad for he's extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him, verse 24, and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The harsh reality is that many people unknowingly are the exact same as this person and the rich young ruler. When asked, are you a good person? Their response will tell you everything you need to know. This true story is a representation of Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Let's go there now. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You've heard it before. You're going to hear it again because this last part of Matthew 7 is probably without a doubt the scariest scripture of the Bible. I remember hearing it for the first time, and I'll tell you what, I was, it still gives me chills to this day. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say, say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That means teach, preach in your name. And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Brothers and sisters, this is going to catch many people by surprise. Because they're self-deceived, just like this rich young ruler. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Isn't that scary? This young guy thought that he was on the narrow road that led to heaven. But in reality, he was on the broad road to destruction, to hell. He was so deceived that he thought he kept the commandments. But in reality, he broke them probably again that same day or even that same hour prior to this conversation. He may not have committed adultery physically or murdered anybody, but he was guilty of something. When you break one commandment, you break them all. You are a lawbreaker. You are lawless. And you know, the reality of the law is to condemn, to convict us of guilt. And here, that's exactly what's happening. But he was so self-deceived, so self-righteous, that he thought that because he physically kept these commandments, which he didn't, 
that he was he was okay. I'm one of the good guys. And again, why did he come to Christ in the first place? Because deep down, he knew that he wasn't on the right path. He wanted Christ to affirm his self-righteousness. And what did he do? He condemned it. And how did Jesus do it? He used scripture. He used scripture. Jesus said, one thing you lack, and that was his idol. And it, once again, an idol is anything you put ahead of God, of importance. And that was his wealth, and I would even say himself. His wealth and himself was his God. Even though he was a ruler over a synagogue, his heart was far from God. People who try to justify themselves outside of Christ, who try to attain righteousness on their own, by their own merits or good deeds, fail to comprehend the righteousness that they try to attain is given as a free gift through faith in Christ. Did you catch that? This is not just for him. It's people today. Let me say it one more time. People who try to attain righteousness on their own or outside of Christ fail to comprehend that the righteousness that they are trying to attain is given as a free gift through faith in Christ. In verse 26, they who heard it said, then who can be saved? They're probably throwing their hands in the air. How? And why is this important? Because if this rich young ruler was an example of those not going to heaven, how can people be saved? Because people used to think that, hey, if they were wealthy, they must have God's favor. That, that, that's the guy. That's the guy we need to be a part of. He needs to be in our inner circle. I need to be like that guy. Do you see why they asked that question? Then who can be saved then? He's, he's a ruler over a synagogue. And Jesus just told him one thing you still lack, and he goes away upset. How can anybody be saved? But then Jesus said, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Salvation, if you go back to verse 22, is... Right there, so we can see it. Jesus heard this and said to him, One thing you still lack, sell all that you possess and distribute to the poor. Give up everything. Give up the world. Give up yourself. Death to self. Death to your worldly desires, passions, and pleasures, and lusts. Completely die to yourself. And you shall have treasure in heaven. And here's, here it is right here. And come follow me. Following Christ, in Christ, 
being in union with Christ. That is salvation, my friend. But he missed it. He missed it. We must get rid of any thought, belief, or trust in ourselves to be able to stand right before God on our own. We have to get rid of that. This is why in Matthew 5, 3, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because it is those who know that they have no means of salvation on their own. Their deeds are but filthy rags to God, and that only through the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross can we have salvation and hope. Jesus Christ clothes us in his righteousness through faith in him alone. He took the full punishment we deserve, the full wrath of God he bore on a tree so that we can be set free from the slavery of sin and eternal condemnation. If this young man would have repented of his sin, and right there, was he repentant? No. No, he wasn't. He is Romans 2.5 in a nutshell. He is the poster boy. And if you forgot, let's turn there real quick so I can show you. It says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. That is him. He didn't repent. He didn't repent of his sin, his idolatry, his blasphemy. No. He's storing up wrath for himself. But you know what, what is the, the greatest tragedy of all tragedies? Is that if he would have repented at that moment, like Zacchaeus did, remember him? It's just a chapter ahead. I would, I would encourage you to read about that conversion story. So your homework until next week is to, to read Luke 19, 1 through 10. Just 10 verses. Because in that story, when Christ met him and stayed at his house, something amazing truly happened. At the tail end of that story, verse 9, Christ says, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. See, at first, Zacchaeus didn't know that he was lost. When he met Christ, the same thing happened to the rich young ruler. His heart was not ready. His heart of stone never converted, never rep repented of his sin. Zacchaeus's did. And when Zacchaeus converted, you know what he did? In verse 8, this is amazing. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Jesus was not telling Zacchaeus, hey, you need to give all your money away in order to come follow me. No. 
No, he committed a sin by defrauding people. He took advantage of them, probably charged them double because he was a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And Christ, during this conversation, it does, it's not recorded here. I cannot wait to get to heaven and find out exactly what happened. And that's a beautiful part about heaven is we're going to find out all about these stories, the things we have questions about. But during that conversation, I know for a fact, for certainty, that Christ went to the heart of the issue. Zacchaeus' heart was open to the gospel. The rich young ruler, not so much. But again, the, the tragedy of all tragedies is if he would have done this, his heart of stone would have been removed and God would have given him a heart of flesh. Because listen to Ezekiel. And I, this is back-to-back -back weeks, people. And I say this because it's extremely important. But Ezekiel 36, 25 and we'll go to 27. And I want you to have the rich young ruler in mind. And now that I pretty much just gave you a quick rundown of Zacchaeus, we're going to put them side by side and listen to the difference. This is truly, truly amazing and tragic at the same time. Verse 25, Ezekiel 36. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness, defrauding Zacchaeus, and from all your idols, rich young ruler. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, lowercase s here, our spirit, a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Rich young ruler still had the heart of stone. He rejected Christ. And going back to the end of 26, from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Zacchaeus had his heart of stone removed. He had it removed. And he was given a new heart of flesh. He's open to what Christ says, open to the gospel open to the good news that he must repent of his sin. And that's exactly what he did. Verse 8, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. He probably got them from dishonest gain anyway. The Lord convicted him of that. And wanting to be obedient to God now, give half of his possessions to the poor? Wow. If I defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. Wow. That is amazing. And then verse 27. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Zacchaeus. He was converted. His heart of stone was removed. Heart of flesh was given by God. 
the Holy Spirit was put within him so that he can obey God and love people as he loves people. But the rich young ruler, he still maintained the heart of stone, storing up wrath upon himself. And unfortunately, his destination, if he, and we don't know what happened to him. We don't know. Maybe at some point he did convert. But I like to think that this is a very, very tragic ending to what self-righteousness, to idolatry, to a self-deception of thinking that you are a good person in the eyes of God will get you. And I say it somberly because there are many people that I've come across that think that they're a good person. And what did Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There is no one good except God alone. That's the most terrifying thought in Scripture. The most dangerous part of theology is that God is good. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. Well, it is if you understand fully that if God is good, then we are not. And how can people who are not good, who are wretched, sinful, depraved, no spirit, unholy, how can they stand justified before a righteous, holy God? There's only one way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness that this rich young ruler was trying to attain is impossible for mankind on our own. And that righteousness that he was trying to attain is given as a free gift through faith in Christ and Christ alone. He missed it. He missed it. But you have an opportunity to not miss it. If you think you're good because you don't cheat on your wife and you don't lie all the time and you know you never murder anybody that's that's dangerous ground to stand on that's shifting sand that's not built upon the rock and look this rich young ruler he's on the sand matter of fact going back to Matthew 7 I mean we're talking about foundations just a couple verses after 23 says therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock well he heard the words did he act on him no he walked away verse 25 and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and it slammed against that house 
yet it did not fall, for I have been founded on the rock. Christ is the rock. He is the solid foundation. The rich young ruler did not hear the words of Christ and act on him. He heard him. He didn't act. Guess who did? Zacchaeus. Verses 26 and 27. This is the rich young ruler. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. His riches, himself, his self-righteousness, that is the sand. Because, verse 27, the divine judgment, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. He had a great fall. And that is so tragic to hear. And what's really tragic is nowadays we look at this and think, wow, how can he do that? Yet we ourselves do the exact same thing. We chase the money. We chase the success. We chase the world. And it's all sand. It's all shifting sand. And we build our house upon that. And when the divine judgment comes, when it's our last day, when we are standing before God Almighty Himself and must give an account for everything we've done, great is our fall. But yet, if we hear these words of Christ, we hear the gospel, and we act on them, there's the action. Do you hear the action? We've been talking about action lately around here. Maybe compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Christ is the rock. Because when the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and slammed against that house. And that divine judgment comes against that person whose faith is in Christ, and he is clothed in Christ, and his righteousness is from Christ. It did not fall. Because we are found upon the rock. That's not our... Verses 24 through 25. Those two are our righteousness in Christ. 26 and 27, that's righteousness on our own. A lot to think about. But this story is very tragic. And I pray that it's not a tragedy for you. As I pray that you do repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Christ is the only way. That's why I love John 14, 6. That is an absolute statement. He is saying that he is God in that statement, yet he is the way, and he is the absolute truth, and he is the absolute life. In him is life. He is self, he is self-existent. He existed before time began. He didn't, he wasn't created by anybody or anything. He's always existed. In him is life. That's why he said Lazarus come forth after Lazarus had been dead for four days. And he gets up and walks out of that tomb. That's what he does to our souls. We put our trust and faith in him. He says, Nate, get up and come out. That's what he does to our souls, to our spirits. We are spiritually dead. When Jesus said in John 11, 1125, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe 
that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. So guess what? Jesus Christ says to you by name, to me by name, when we put our trust and faith in him, to our dead, dying spirit, your name come forth. In verse 44, the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Our spirits are bound or tied up in our grave clothes, awaiting the final judgment. When we place our trust and faith in Christ, we repent of our sins, completely die to self and turn and follow Christ. And he is our Lord, Master, and Savior. He gives us eternal life. Amen. I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.